Well, forgive me if I've mentioned it before, but I thoroughly enjoy being a granddad. And uh, it's such a great privilege to nurture children. I enjoyed it as, as a parent, and being a grandparent too is very special. And I'm only able to visit our family in America during our holidays. Uh, absence certainly makes the uh, heart grow fonder. And it was lovely to see my granddaughter, Sienna, who's a lot taller when you last saw her. Uh, and she said these words, I like you here, Granddad, because you never work. <laughs> now, Mummy and Daddy are always very busy. Uh, but when I'm there, you see, I don't work. I give her 100% attention. And I started to justify myself. What do you mean I don't work? And then I realized how precious it was just to be, to love her and Imogen, her sister, and baby Willow, as I do for Jude and Lottie in this country. You see, I desire the very best for them. I want to give my all for those children. I wonder what your heart's desire is. We have a family, their precious child for baptism today. What's your desire? I'll come back to that in a moment. When we raise children, whether it be our own or perhaps we've got nephews or nieces or maybe uh, children of friends that we have an opportunity to influence, patience can be tested at times. It's not always easy. It's a great privilege, but frankly exhausting at times, especially when they're little. And at times, parents can feel low, frustrated, worried, maybe even disappointed. But we love those children regardless, and we desire the best for them. And it's like that for our Heavenly Father. I'm sure that our response to him sometimes can be hopelessly inadequate. And yet our love, which can be so fickle, doesn't prevent him from being faithful to us and to desire the very best for us. He wants us to enter into a deeper relationship with him. Now let's face it, our lives go at such a pace at times, we often don't give much time to think about who created us, who gave us the breath of life. We're so busy that we don't take time just to reflect and say, what is this thing called life that we have? Now, Hosea, perhaps the prophet who we've just heard the words of, prophesied in the northern kingdom in around 745 BC. It was during a disturbed and confused years after the reign of Jeroboam II. You see, after Jeroboam II, king after king, were being assassinated. And nationalism had become, if you like, a substitution for God. People were pulling uh, together, but society was falling apart. Israel was in a bad place. And Hosea, the prophet, was actually really worried about this. He was troubled by it, by the unfaithfulness of God's people. And he condemned their sin. First of all, there was the absence of goodness. There was corruption. There was no truth, no kindness, no knowledge of God in the land. There was also the presence of evil. People were lying, stealing, killing, 
There was adultery. And thirdly, there was the reality of godlessness, what we call syncretism, uh, spiritual adultery, if you like, a kind of pick-and-mix religion where you take the best of anything, uh, and they were worshipping idols rather than the one true God, and they were refusing to return to the Lord. Now, when I hear that list, I realize there's much in society today that mirrors Hosea's generation. At times, we see an absence of goodness and truth in the world, a moral vacuum, the reality of evil in the news, and we wonder what we're going to hear next. Confusion over matters of religion, the rise of faithlessness and agnosticism, society in a mess, and the need for a change of direction. Now, the people of Israel were trying to sort out their own problems, uh, politically, socially, and economically, but they weren't having any joy. And Hosea knew the answer for the people of God was they must return to him. Israel must repent, is the word, change direction. And calls to repentance had been going out at that time, but largely been met with an apathy response people hadn't really grasped what was required that God wanted faithful commitment and behavioral change do you know I believe this is a really timely message for today because yes we haven't seen king after king assassinated but we're going through prime ministers and politicians People rallying around, what can we do? What can we do? We see also an absence of truth, fake news, and all that going on in the world. We have people claiming that good, uh, those things that are not good are good, and that people, as uh, conspiracy theories all over the place. Now, I think, and it's old-fashioned language, and excuse me if when you hear this word you just think of the person with a megaphone on the corner, but there is a clear call in the Bible to repent, and that just simply means to change direction, to turn away from self and turn towards God and his love and to live his way. That's essentially what it is. Jesus called the disciples one way down the beach to turn direction and to come and to follow him. And that's what the baptism service is all about, marking the fact that parents have said that's important to them and they want that for their child. And we hope one day Clements will come and say, well, I confirm that what happened at my baptism is now what I believe. And we pray that for her. Now, today's reading began with that image of a lion. A lion having attacked Israel and Judah and then returns to the lair. Now, it's pictorial language here, but basically what this language is trying to say is God isn't happy with his people. This gruesome picture of the lion tearing his people to pieces. In other words, society's in a mess. And it's the symbolic mess that they were in, and I think we are in too. 
And so the symbol is the lion goes back to the lair. God leaves them to their fate. But God was giving them an opportunity to return, to realize, open your eyes, see what's happening in the world, and return to him, to seek him in their desperation. And when they do, it's his nature to have mercy. And this then, if you read through that little passage as I'm talking, this leads to a dialogue between God and his people. The Israelites, yes, realize that if they repent, then, and the Lord will then return to them, bring new life, healing, mercy, and salvation. That's good. But they hadn't really taken seriously why they were being judged. It's not just about giving lip service. They needed to change their ways of doing things, change their behavior. And so what we see here is this analogy that God's love for them is like rain that gives life to the earth. But their love in return has just been a mere mist, a morning mist, which is soon burned off by the sun. <coughs> and then we get to the crux of the matter. The final verse. For I desire mercy, mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, God just doesn't want us to go through the motions of worship, doesn't want us to, to just keep the law, as it were. God wants us to worship him with all our heart, not a dusting of light, missed in worship but he wants us to desire what he desires and there to be a deluge of mercy and love and kindness in the world and that should flow from our worship now the hebrew word here we get a bit technical here but it's really important the hebrew word is hesed translated in our reading today as mercy but that word is a rich word. Uh, he, Hosea's prophecies revolve around that word hesed. And if you know the other stories, you'll make the links. It's used 247 times, I'm told, in the Old Testament. I haven't counted it myself, but I do trust the commentators. And it's tough to translate in English. But hesed actually means steadfast love or loving kindness or mercy, all those get close to it. And it's about what God's nature is. God is love, mercy, loving kindness, steadfast. And the Lord has a steadfast love and mercy for his people, and that's what he wants from them in return. I love my grandchildren. I want them to return that love. What he wants is us to mirror his love for us. And God's very nature has to shape our faith. And if it doesn't, then we're not living by divine hesed values. And we won't actually find God in our worship. It will be empty. Neither will we know his blessing. So let me go back to that question. What do you desire most? Honestly. What do you desire for this church? And what do we desire for our nation 
and our world. In Psalm 73, the psalmist writes, Whom I have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing. In other words, the psalmist desired nothing but God. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. In other words, we will find God when we seek him. And then in uh, Mark 8, verse 34, uh, Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, sometimes when the world's in a mess, we try and sort it out ourselves. But I do really believe that we will see answers to those things that we're longing for if more people turn towards the one who made us. When we moan when things get difficult as Christians, do we accept that actually there may be a cross that we have to carry for good, just as Jesus had to carry his cross? Do we ask God to check if the burden that we're carrying is actually the cross that he wants us to, to carry, or are we carrying things that he's not actually asking us to carry? I'm very concerned for the church in many parts of the world, and I have a burden for the church in this country, including our beloved Methodist church. You see, the Western church is in decline. And that's at a time when the world desperately needs Christ and to hear the message of turning towards God. We're short of ordained and lay preachers and leaders. We're short of leaders in local churches. We have missing generations in our churches, which is why it's so important, our work with children and young people, because they are the church of today and will be the leaders of the future. So it's wonderful to have our services of baptism, but do we desire more than anything else to restore the church? Why? So that people can turn towards God again, but also that their lives will increasingly make a difference in a fractured world. John Wesley, at the age of 87, the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, wrote the following words to Alexander Mather. No, Alec, no. The danger to, of ruin to Methodism does not lie here. It springs from quite a different quarter. Our preachers, many of them, are fallen. They are not spiritual. They are not alive to God. They are soft, innovative, fearful of shame, toil, and hardship. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. He didn't mince his words, did he? <laughs> uh, very direct words. But the thing is, if we don't desire God, it's often because we think we know best. But if we desire God and what he wants, we're living according to the maker's instructions and we will actually get the most out of the life that we've been gifted. Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider. 
Saint Alphonus Liguri, an Italian Catholic bishop and theologian, once said, he who desires nothing but God is rich and happy. I find that a challenge because I've got all sorts of desires, uh, like for my grandchildren and, and hopes for the world. But first of all, the call is to desire what God wants. The Methodist Church in Great Britain was raised up to spread scriptural holiness through the land. How we need that in our society today. A God-given desire for appropriate evangelism, merciful social action, and a struggle for justice. I don't know about you, I'm deeply disturbed about those figures about human trafficking. It shouldn't happen in today's world. And today on MHA Sunday, we remember how Methodist Homes was founded 80 years ago by the Reverend Walter Hall. And it was with a, together with a group of Methodists, they decided to make a difference for the quality of life for older people. This was before the welfare state. And in just two years, they managed to set up Rylands, which is a home in Wallington, not far from here, putting Hesed love into practice, loving kindness for older people who are being uh, neglected. And today that work continues. I want to ask, what's God wanting us to do today to meet the needs of our generation? What's the point of this church? Not just for us to have lovely services together. What are we here for? And that's what we've got to tease out. How can we be people of steadfast love, loving kindness, and full of mercy in a hurting world. And I want to say to our leaders, if you're wanting to work out uh, what you should be doing, it's not just about popular opinion. It's about putting love into practice in our world, caring for our communities, looking after the most vulnerable, and being full of mercy. My prayer is that God will shake us out of our apathy, and I include myself, so that hearts may be warmed and burn with a passion and a desire to actually not just give a nod to God, but to actually turn towards him. Follow his son Jesus, the model, the pattern for our lives, adopt his lifestyle, and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we will implement merciful and loving priorities with action. That's, I think, a call to us today. Look at the news. Hear what's going on in the world. And say, is the nature of God being reflected in our society? And if not, we've got to be part of the answer. And I pray that together here in this place, where however we live out our lives, we will seek to make a difference. Amen.